0: So take your Bibles, like I said, Matthew chapter 2. Uh, I had intended to kind of move on from um, the Christmas story uh, this Sunday. Um, it just, you know, you some people are, maybe you're one of these people, that you are um, Thanksgiving, Friday after Thanksgiving, you start celebrating Christmas, and December 25th at 11.59, you stop. Like, I'm done. I'm ready. Twenty-six, let's go. Trees, some of you, your trees are coming down today. Like, let's get my house back in order, right? Got all this stuff out. It's been out. Some of you are like, it'll come down in January sometime, right? We're going to listen to Christmas music. Some of you start listening to Christmas music in July and start up in June for a month, right? And so, I don't know where you're on that spectrum, but I kind of intend to look forward. Because next time, we gather together as a church family it will be 2022. 2022. Next Sunday morning will be January 2nd. We'll know who's going to be playing in a national championship game unless COVID already decides that for everybody. Um, we will maybe know whether the, what's going on with the playoffs and scenarios and all of that. It's going to be an interesting time to kind of be around when we get into 2022. And January next week, we are going to look towards what the future holds and, and what we can prepare for that and what God is calling us to do in the year ahead. But for whatever reason, over this last week, as I've prayed about it and thought about it, God just put me in a different direction. Now, we're going to linger for just a moment at the manger. Well, actually not at the manger, because what happened in Matthew chapter 2 didn't happen at the manger. We'll talk about that in a moment but around the story of the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the first 12 chapters, and then I'm just going to kind of give background and explanation about some things, and then at the end we're going to wrap it up with a couple of thoughts that I have based on what's there. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, in the king, days of King Herod, wise friends from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with mother his Mary with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now, here's what I want to do this morning as we kind of think about this story, as we think about what's there. Most of us know many of the basics, but I want to kind of break down some of what's happening in this story. For instance, there are lots of things we don't know about these men that came to worship the baby Jesus. Now, um, this is the part uh, where I I ruined some of your nativity sets, and I, I apologize for that things we've talked about in the past, but some things that we don't know for sure. We don't know how many of them there were. People have just kind of written in three. One of my favorite Christmas carols growing up was We Three Kings of Orient Are. Part of that was because it just sounded different. It didn't sound like all the other Christmas carols. It was different, and I liked the idea of it and felt different, and I liked the kind of the, the uniqueness of that carol. But that carol... Says that it's three kings. There were probably at least three kings. How do we know what we, the number? We, we don't know a lot about the number. We just know there was more than one because it has a multiple in the original language. Most of the time people assume three. Why? Because of the three gifts. Everybody brought one gift. But the idea is that three gifts could be brought by one person, two people, three people, or more. Magi generally traveled in a group in those days. This is not the only expedition they would have taken. They would travel in a group of a dozen or more oftentimes with their servants. In fact, there's a good chance that this group that comes to see Jesus was somewhere in the 20, 30, 50 or more range. So if you want to add that to your nativity sets, get... Go buy all the wise men you can and servants you can put them there. Alright? Not only do we see it there, but more than likely there's a clue in the text that there were more than three because it says that when they come to Herod, it says all of Jerusalem were worried about this, that they troubled the whole city. Now the whole city probably would not have been troubled about three guys riding camels. But if you've got 50 people ten kings in an entourage searching for the one-born king of the Jews, that's going to cause a stir. And so we don't know how many there were, but let's just assume there were lots. We also don't know when they arrived. I can guarantee you they were not there the night Jesus was born. And unless Mary and Joseph stayed in that particular stable, and Jesus was in that particular manger for weeks or months or even a couple of years. They probably didn't show up at the place Jesus was born initially. You see, most people assume or think or have studied that where they came from was an area of Persia or where would have been Babylon or from the east. It says they came from the east. And that trek was somewhere around 300 miles. Now, we hear that and we don't think a whole lot about that, huh? And actually, I'd love if you would pray for me over the next couple of days. Starting tomorrow night, I'll be preaching at a youth conference in St. Louis, Missouri. And I'm driving tomorrow from here to St. Louis. It's 330 miles to my destination. And we don't think a whole lot about traveling 330 miles in a day. It may not be what we want to do, but we don't think a whole lot about that. But for the wise men, for the magi to travel 300 miles on camel or uh, donkey or mule or even horse would have taken weeks, months even. So they're showing up after Mary and Joseph are starting to get established. Now, we know that it was probably less than two years or so because Herod, right, says, we know this later, Herod has all of the young child, unmale childs, in the area killed so that he would not be overthrown. We don't know how many there were. We don't know when they arrived. We don't know their names. There are some traditions about their names. In tradition, the names are Melchior, Balthazar, and Gaspar. But there's no real proof of that. It kind of became a, something that just got passed down from place to place. There's a lot we don't know about these guys, but there are some things that we do know. I mentioned this. We know they were from the east. Maybe Babylon or Persia. Someone over that place that would have been a place of wealth and opulence that would have had people that were watching for signs in the universe for the coming things of predicting the future. We know these men were men of prominence. Uh, Just by the description and what we know about their class in that day, they would have been high-ranking, with some power and influence. They would have been well-respected. They probably would have been well-respected in their religious field, in their political field, with their wealth. We know that these men are mentioned, or their class is mentioned in the book of Daniel. and They probably would have been influenced in some way by Jewish teachings. In fact, in just a moment, we'll talk about how they may have interpreted the star originally. And so we don't know a lot, but what we do know is they were important men from a foreign country that were not Jewish that saw something that made them come and look for a king. You ever wondered why the star is what triggered their journey? I mean you and I, obviously, maybe you are, maybe you're an astronomer and I don't I don't know it, but I I don't know a whole lot about the stars. I remember um a few years ago they still have the app out there's an app that you can get that does the virtual reality thing or augmented reality where you can put it up to the sky and it'll show you the constellation and the stars and i think that's really cool i don't know anything more than i did before i looked up at them really oh that's cool and every once in a while there'll be like a a significant event um there'll be uh you know the 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 North Star, the Bethlehem Star they talk about sometimes, where they kind of align together and it's there. Or there'll be a comet that's coming through. And you can get on those apps and find out. But in general, I don't know if the sky tonight looks any different from the sky last night. If there was any change in it, if a new star appeared, I would not realize it. But these guys were watching. And so a question I asked one time is, so how do they put all that together? Oh, there's a new star that must be a new king, and it must be a Jewish king. Well, the short answer to that is what God told them. But let's think about it a little bit. And I, what I'm about to tell you is not something that is definite, doesn't say it in Scripture, but it is a prophecy that they probably would have been aware of. I mentioned that this may have been over in the Babylon, Persia area. We know from the book of Daniel, some of the greatest men of God were among, were kept among the wise men. They were helping to understand the things of Israel and of Jewish faith, along with all that was there. People like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's no doubt they shared the writings of Moses and the prophets with them. The writings of Moses and the prophets are full of prophecies about Jesus coming. In fact, there's one these guys very likely would have known about that is from one of the craziest stories in Scripture. Y'all remember a few weeks ago, those of you who have been around, that I did the series called Strange Encounters? Remember that, right? This was a story that almost made the cut, all right? If I would have had five weeks, I would have done the story of Balaam and his donkey, all right? Y'all know that story, right? That's a crazy story, all right? There's an enemy king called Balak who is afraid of Israel and wants to have them cursed, so he hires a prophet, Balaam. That's what makes that story confusing in some ways because it's Balak and Balaam. And Balaam, who is not a very conscientious prophet, agrees to do it for the right price. Just, just so you know, if, if your preacher will say whatever you want him to say for the right price, that's probably not a good sign, right? So, so, yeah, yes, that's an amen moment, all right? So, well, God doesn't want that to happen, so he sends an angel to stand in Balaam's way so he can't do it. The donkey sees the angel standing there with a the sword in his hand and turns aside to avoid it. Balaam, who can't see the angel beats the donkey, and eventually the angel moves, so the donkey continues. The angel with the sword reappears, but this time he's standing on the road with two walls by it, so the donkey veers out of the way, and Balaam scrapes his foot. Well, Balaam is unhappy about this, because this donkey is costing him the money that he's going to make from this curse. Numbers 23 says, Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place, where there there's no way to turn either right or left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. He is fed up. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey said to Balaam. Now, see, that, that verse is enough for its own strange encounter, right? What have I done to you that have struck me three times? This is the crazier thing. Balaam talks back to the donkey. If a donkey ever talks to me, I'm going to find some help somewhere. Right? And Balaam said, because you made a fool of me. (laughs) Unlike when I'm talking to you now... I wish I had a sword in my hand, for I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? That sounds almost like a husband and wife. Like, how long have we been together? Balaam said, No. And then God opens Balaam's eyes and sees the angel and realizes he saved his life. So instead of cursing Israel, he prophesies a blessing to him. Now, this is the whole point. This is what he prophesies. A star will rise out of Jacob. And a scepter shall come out of Israel. Which meant a king that would rule over the whole world and bring blessing to all the nations would rise from there. If you're stargazers and you read that verse, you're looking literally for a star. And so these wise men, these magi, see the star... And they begin their trek. And they come to the palace, to the place of Herod. Most of you know this. I mean, it's obvious in the next verses that Herod is not a nice man. He is one of the worst tyrant kings Israel ever had. He was Jewish, but he was a puppet of the Roman Empire. He liked to show off his wealth. He built big, showy palaces and temples with his names all over them. For instance, there was a Jewish tradition that said when David was running from Saul, you remember that? He climbed up to a place called Masada and hid out in a cave there. And Herod said, if our greatest king hid out in Masada, I will one-up him and I will live there in luxury. And he built an immense palace fortress there. Now, he also had some accomplishments. For instance... He figured out a way to pack and preserve dates and figs for years. You say, well, how many years? Well, I'll tell you this. In the 1940s, they were excavating an area around it, and they found Herod's storerooms still filled with food he preserved 2,000 years ago, and they ate some. I don't know what it takes to say, you know what, this has been 2,000, that's probably good. Is there an expiration date on there? They preserved that long. He was also psychotically paranoid about his power. He had his wife killed because he thought she was conspiring against her, against him. And for good measure, he had her mother and her brother killed too. A few years later, he had all three sons of his son killed for the same reason. It was a story about when he was inaugurated as king, he invited all the family's enemies to the festival as a show of peace, and then as he had them all assembled, he killed them all. The Emperor Augustus once said about him, you know, Caesar Augustus said that all the world should be taxed, that Augustus said it would be better to be Herod's sal than to be his son. To be a pig. He was known to dress up like a commoner, walk into the city to see what people were saying about him. And if people were saying negative things about him, he would send out men to kill those people. Maybe the craziest thing he had done, when he was on his deathbed, he ordered dozens of other noblemen be executed at the moment of his death because he wanted the land to mourn his passing. And he knew that no one was likely to do it because he had died. They would mourn if all these others did. He only cared about himself. Once when he was short on money, he had 45 wealthiest citizens in the city executed, and then he took over their estates. He also taxed them at a crazy rate. Now, I know that some of you think our taxes are a lot, and I wish I didn't pay as much taxes as I do, but it says in here, half of everything common man Made, Herod took. Then there was another 12.5% that was given to Caesar. And so if you were a fisherman, when you brought your catch to the shore, there would be a tax collector, like Zacchaeus, for instance, standing there who would take Herod's portion, half the fish, Caesar's portion, another 12.5%, and then a portion for himself. They say by the time it is all said and done, most people would have paid somewhere in 75% in taxes. So when they get there, and he hears that there may be a new king born in Israel, Herod, in his psychotic paranoia, is not happy. The wise men get information from the religious leaders. We'll talk a little bit more about them in a moment. And they head off on this track to find Jesus. When they get there, they give three very intentional gifts. Gold would have represented the kingship of Jesus, his royalty. The fact that he was associated with kings, that he was a man who was a ruler. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout ancient history, gold was associated with kingship. It was such a valuable resource that only kings would keep it and have it. And so the gold there represents his kingship. The frankincense recognizes the deity of Jesus, his divinity. Frankincense was often used in royal processions, but more than that, frankincense was often burned in religious ceremonies of worship or service, and they were offered unto God. And so as the wise men, the magi, give their gifts, they are giving a gift recognizing the royalty of Jesus, recognizing the deity of Jesus, and then myrrh recognizes the humanity of Jesus. Myrrh was a perfume with many different purposes. Most importantly, it was a perfume that was signified of anointing of a man. And so in these three gifts, you recognize the rule and the reign and the sovereignty of Jesus, the god of Qualities of Jesus, the fact that He is God, as was read earlier by Ellie Ray, that, that Jesus is the Word of God who was and is and is to come. And then you have myrrh, which recognizes the humanity of Jesus. In fact, in Mark chapter 15, verse 23, it tells us that this Jesus, who is a child, King, God, and man, was raised up on a cross where he was crucified and Mark fifteen twenty three says that he was offered wine mixed with anybody want to know what that is what it was mixed with in Mark myrrh so on the first gifts that we're told about in scripture that comes from the wise men gold frankincense and myrrh we get a picture of the coming death of Jesus I'm fascinated in the midst of this description of the story of the different reactions that people have to the coming of Jesus. We've read about a couple of them already, but I just want to kind of touch on them because they are the common reactions that people have to Jesus even in our day. The one that amazes me the most are the religious leaders who seemingly show indifference. Jesus. Remember the story, the wise men come to Herod and Herod calls on who? The religious scholars. And they go into the religious scholars place and the wise men, the magi say, we need to know where this child's going to be born. And I imagine this setting, and, and it probably wasn't like this at all, but I like to imagine it like a Jeopardy game going on there. Where is this king supposed to be born? And they're all trying to buzz in at the same time where the music's playing in the background and they yell out, Bethlehem, it's Bethlehem, it's Bethlehem! Because these guys would have known it cold. They would have known it completely. This was not a surprise to them. This was not a hard question. But what amazes me, after they answer the question, we have no indication from Scripture that any of them said, you know what, maybe we ought to go check that out. These are the guys that have been looking for the Messiah. And some guys come up and say, hey, there's a new star. Where is he supposed to be born? Hey, we think the king of the Jews, the Messiah, has been born. Where is that? And they go, it'd be Bethlehem, it's Bethlehem, it's Bethlehem. And they're so interested in the knowledge that they have, the head knowledge, that they don't care a moment to go find out for themselves whether it's true or not. Now, well, maybe there were. Maybe one or two of them went. Maybe this was the start of some of them beginning the investigation that would lead eventually to them talking and finding Jesus when he was walking the earth. But we have no indication in Scripture of that. Reminds me that one of the most tragic things about the first Christmas is that the people closest to understanding and knowing when the Messiah was supposed to come and how were the ones that missed it. And my fear is. That when God moves in our day, when God moves in our churches, when God moves in our community, the people that ought to be ready for it and looking for it and understand that it's happening and watch it as it goes and join in the experience of it are the people that will miss it completely. And by that, I mean you and me. It is a dangerous thing to handle the things of God with commonality. You say, well, I'm not going to be indifferent to Jesus. And yet, one of the things the pandemic has shown us is that people do not value attending church like they once did. Now, here's the thing I'll tell you. I understand that there are some people that have very good reason. I'm thankful for the technology that allows us to carry our services over the internet. I am thankful for that. And I understand that there are real circumstances where people are not able to join us, but the number of people that are able to join us that aren't is staggering in America. Do you know, so the pandemic hit in 2020, do you know church attendance is down significantly in 2021 from 2020? Churchwide, I'm talking about America, not worldwide. America. That fewer people are attending church this fall than did last fall when the pandemic was raging again without vaccines, without protections that have come. Statistics that show how many believers read their Bibles or pray on a regular basis or seek Jesus on their own time is staggering in how few actually do that. And I don't know what other words you would describe a group of people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have been loved to the point that we have, who choose not to seek out a relationship with Him on a daily basis. I can't think of no other word than that. that we are just indifferent. Oh, we got the head knowledge. I don't know that anything I have said today for most of us in this room, maybe for all of us in this room, there is nothing that I've said that you're like, wow, I have never had that thought in my mind or never knew that. Maybe a couple of little facts here and there, but the basics of this story we all know. We're like those religious leaders that if we were asked about what were the what were the three gifts that were brought by the wise men, we'd be like those. Those guys who are saying, Bethlehem Bethlehem Bethlehem, 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 we're like, Frankincense, golden golden myrrh, Frankincense, gold myrrh. We know the answers to the questions, but has it made a difference in our lives? The second one, I hope, is the least common amongst us, although the world seems to be growing in this, and that is the hostility that we see from Herod. You have indifference from the religious leaders, hostility from Herod. I just gave you the reasons for that. He was scared about his throne. He protected it at the lives, uh, cost of lives of other people. We have a world that is increasingly hostile to the church. Maybe not to Jesus because Jesus has been romanticized if they knew the claims of Jesus to be the one way to the Father, the only way of salvation, if they understood all that Jesus actually taught instead of this kind of whitewashed or sanitized Jesus, they might not be as excited about Him as they are. But hostility towards the church, hostility towards followers of Christ has definitely grown in recent years, in our part of the world. There are parts of the world that is there all the time. Some people respond with indifference. Some people respond with hostility. And then some people respond with worship. And the crazy thing is, in this case, the ones that are least likely to worship the king of Israel are the ones who worship the king of Israel. Although that's kind of the theme of the birth story of Jesus. Who were the first ones to show up at the manger? Shepherds. And not just any shepherds, the night watch shepherds. Shepherds weren't allowed in the temple if they hadn't washed properly because of their dealing with animals that they had. And yet they are there when the Son of God is born. On this occasion, these wise men come from the east. And as they do, they come and worship. Look what it says in verse... You've got your, your, your Bible still open. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Now, let me just say real quickly, I don't know how a good translation of verse 10 would be, but that's not the best translation of verse 10. Because what happens here, and it says when they saw the star, so when they finally see it and they know it's there and it's near and they're almost at the place where they're going to find this, this king, when they see it, The original language uses four words in a row for joy. They were joy, 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 joy. Joy times four. Now, I don't know. They're different words. And it's like mega above, beyond, whatever you could imagine, their joy was complete. But what I can tell you is when we read it statically like they were overwhelmed with joy and we just keep passing on, we miss the importance of what happens there because it is a description of a child who has gotten the gift that they have always longed for on Christmas morning. Like screaming and excited and jumping up and down. It's the excitement of a teenage girl who just found out she got concert tickets to the artist she's been waiting to see for months. It is joy, 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 joy. It's like Matthew says, I can't explain this either of the I'm going take all four words I know for joy and I'm going to put them together. When Herod hears it, he's scared to death and mad. When the religious leaders hear it, they are indifferent. When these eastern pagan Non-believing as far as it comes to Yahweh God. Magi from the east here. Joy, 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 joy. And then it says this. (coughs) Because of their position and their prominence, it's amazing. They saw the child with Mary his mother and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. When I was growing up, the largest church in our area was Bellevue Baptist Church. Dr. Adrian Rogers was the pastor, and I think they still do this, but they did a singing Christmas tree every year. And part of it is they would reenact the nativity, and um, one of the things they actually did is they would often have the nativity all play out, and then it would go to black, and then they would start bringing in the wise men. Now, they used three, but they would bring in the wise men, and they would have like a an infant or even a toddler on stage to represent Jesus being over a year old when they got there. And I'll never forget as a teenager watching that and these men in royal procession They were, I mean, it was cool because they were riding live animals, and they had this train coming out the back of there, and they've got men and servants and and people there helping them go down in this fictitious kind of thing. But as they're going down, fictitious, I mean, like role playing, not like that. The actual story is fictitious; it's fact. And they would get to the front. I just remember they would play this this huge kind of moment of song, and then these guys would get to the front, and they would have the child stand behind a workbench. And these men would take their hats off and lay them to the side. And at the same time, they would all bow to this child standing there. And it was a powerful moment to think about these grown men of prominence worshiping a child. You know what's interesting, too, is the Bible throughout makes a huge deal. That worship can only be directed towards God. Right? So you would assume, if Jesus wasn't somehow God, as we know He is, that it would condemn what happens here, and yet it celebrates these men bowing to the child king. What's your reaction To Jesus. And what will it be in the year ahead? Hopefully hostility is not on the table. But for many of us in this room. Indifference very much could be. Listen. We have had. Two difficult years. Of always seemingly. Being on our guard. And just when it seems we've turned a corner. We will for two weeks. And then. Variant pops up. the economy goes crazy. Instability and uprisings occur. It's easy in the midst of that to get burned out on a lot of things in life. And to just be indifferent to the things of Jesus. Or will your life be a life of worship? A life that gives glory to God. That gives Him the best that you have. That's what the gold, frankincense, and myrrh would have represented. The best they had. Give it to them. And are you willing to lay down your pride and your desires and your wants and your goals and your dreams and your aspirations and your way at the altar? of Jesus. I always love the story of the wise men. I love the fact that it shows that the gospel is a global message. That not only did he announce it to shepherds on the hillside in Jerusalem, he announced it to kings from far away. My prayer is that 2022 will be a year when I will seek Jesus completely and that we will be a part of spreading the gospel of Jesus to places that have never heard before. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray in this moment that we remember that it is a daily choice to follow you. To live in your love. And to serve you. I pray that we will live lives of surrender. That we will live lives that continually worship and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.